0: All right, dummies, welcome back. Um, This is part two of our conversation with uh, Reverend Gray. Um, As you remember from last week, he began to tell us, you know, how God has uh, given us these two great commandments, to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the other is, like it, to love your neighbor as ourself. And so we began to answer this question of how do we love our neighbors and so we begin the, this part two with uh, Pastor Gray answering the question, "Who is our neighbor?" So let's start right in and get ready uh, to hear uh, Pastor Gray's response.
1: Well, anytime you 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 labor a person a bad person or that it it is it is inherent problem in a person because they're out knocking windows out or stealing. They wouldn't have done that unless the situation that presented itself gave them opportunity. Many of them are doing this simply because they saw someone else do it. I don't know what the motive of, of why people do those kinds of things. But I, I do know that I can't ever serve them if I can't build a trust relationship with them and to say to them, Then let's have a conversation. Well, you know, that was wrong that you did. Uh yeah, something happened in your community that, that caused the uproar, but what you just did was wrong, and let's talk through this. You know, and surely I'm sure what they would do is they would throw back at me, well, look what they did to us in our community. right? And so, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. And so, But I do have to reserve the opportunity of talking with them so that I can at least share with them my thoughts and opinions about that so at the end of the day, I can share with them the gospel. Yes. But if I isolate them, demonize them, dehumanize them, well, I would never be able to share the gospel with them. Number one, they won't be able to hear it from me anyway because I've already demonized them. Number two, I'm not willing to share with them anyway because I see them as people of, yes. of, of who are not human.
2: It's a point. It's interesting because as this is playing out and— We've had two other conversations uh, with Dr. Nunez and with uh, Keith Haney, if you know Keith as well. I know both (laughs) of them well. And and they're really challenging me. I I have always thought I was open. I taught in Houston at an inner-city Lutheran school, and I loved all the kids. I've never seen myself as someone. But as I watch what's on TV, and I listen to you— You guys talking to me, I begin to think that even slightly as I watch TV, what I'm doing is saying the people in that community are good people, but then there are bad people in that community who are doing these things. So I feel good about myself because I'm saying, well, but there are good people in the community. But then on the flip side, in my mind, I'm saying, but those other ones are bad people. And I don't want to teach my kids that. I don't want them to say those are bad people because we're all bad people. Right, and so those are people who are misguided, misdirected, or in our text to uh, this Sunday, Jesus looks at the people and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd, and what does it say? He has compassion on them he say, you're all bad people, so you don't get Jesus today, but that's not what he right. did and what I want to teach my kids to do is to look at that situation and instead of assessing that there are good people and bad people in the situation is to say. It's a bad situation. Right. And not bad people necessarily in that sense. Um, so I'm finding out in, in having this dialogue with you and Keith and John that, that I have work to do on myself. And I considered myself woke or whatever word they use these days, <laughs> open to, to all cultures. But I'm realizing that even as a pastor, I, and I don't know if the word is prejudice or what the word is but we all have something when we see a situation or people we make assessments out of our sinful nature that we think we're doing it for the right reasons and it's not and it probably doesn't help the dialogue so i think we all have something to learn you know still
1: yeah i I think a lot of it has to do with fear and survival we fear that which we find uh which we find uh, objectionable to us and then we look at our own survival. How do I survive in a situation like this? Especially if I live in that community or if I'm part of that community. Uh, it, is, it, is a, it, it is a fearful thing uh, for us to see those kinds of things happening and destroying community. And I have to live and shop and, and, and work and, and have my relationships in that community. And it does drive us oftentimes to start thinking very poorly of individuals who go about doing that. But I think the third thing is what we what we have done, what we have not done. Sometimes we haven't built the collaborative partnerships and communities. One of the reason I think that uh, now there are some bad police, police policemen on the, on the police force. You sure. know, I mean, we just have to admit that. Yes, but we've all said that there are more good men and women than there are those who are bad, if I can use that word. Sure. I, I would say the vast majority of people on, on the police uh, departments around the nation are very honorable people who just want to do their job protect and serve and uh, but when we don't have collaborative partnerships in communities we begin to see each other as as enemies right. And, and I think what we have to do then, what I try to do in my ministry is always build collaborative partnerships with community leaders, even the police department, schools, uh, whatever in that community. I made it my business to go out, to talk to people, to say, hey, here I am. I'm, I'm past a degree at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church. Here's my card. You know, how can we collaborate together? How could I serve the people that you serve? And, uh, and I try to always be a champion in engaging people in community partnerships. And, and so they can know that the church cares about them. And when they needed someone, some spiritual care, then they would come to me and say, hey, pastor, I got this problem. Or they needed something from the church or they needed a, a religious understanding or faith understanding or wanted to get baptized or needed someone to be buried. They can always come to me and say, I know there's a pastor who cares. Even though I may not be a member of his congregation, sure. that he is a partner in this community, and so I think the third thing is that we as Christians must build collaborative partnerships. We must advocate with the people in our communities to serve uh, the people of the community in which God has called us to serve.
0: That's that's excellent words. I I think you've really challenged me, um, maybe Pastor Chuck as well that. that we have failed um, to do that well in our community you know we haven't we've kind of get kind of our blinders on we think oh this is this is my little community is is just this little church and our community is so much bigger um, and that we need to um, to break out of that comfort zone and and venture out
2: and it's interesting because I was having a discussion with one of our members and I said something about uh, having this dialogue about uh, race, and we're looking at using uh, Keith's Bible study, One Nation Under God, uh, as as for our congregation. And somebody said, but Pastor, we don't have any African Americans around us. And I'm like, we do. Uh, the one school just down the road from us, it's in Tulsa, it's not in our city, but it's five miles down the road, right. is, is probably 60% uh, culturally diverse. Uh, Correct. So I'm like... We don't even see sometimes the diversity of culture around us. And this is not a black and white discussion or a black and brown and white discussion. I'm talking about uh, Indian and Asian and, and all of the diversity that makes America what it is supposed to be when it's working well. But our people, we don't even see that. And so I think it's we have to open our eyes to see the diversity around us. And maybe it's because we're only immersed in the culture or or the community that's like us. Mm -hmm. And so what you did is got out and met all of the community. You challenged yourself to go beyond that one block radius of the homogeneous group of people that you could have just said, these are my people. But that's not what God did, that's not what Jesus did, so why should the church do that? Why should pastors and members say, well, I will reach out to everyone in my uh, tax bracket?
1: That
2: That's not how we do right. things, right? So,
1: Well, that shouldn't be the way we do things. We, we should be like like Jesus did in, in that text you just mentioned in Matthew 9, 38. He went through their towns and villages, preaching the good news of the kingdom. You know, healing their sickness and diseases, and we saw the crowd. He had compassion on them. You know, because the people you serve may not, may not, uh, may not have a lot of uh, issues going on in their lives. I mean, they may be middle class white Americans who, you know, uh, make a great salary, have a nice home, a nice community. Uh, they may have health care. You know, they may have a great retirement. Their kids going to great schools. All of the things you see across the or the tracks of people, well, you don't have that on your side. But yet the people across the tracks may have that. Mm-hmm. And I think the issue is, do I care about those people over there? You know, do I care about the people over there? Because I need for my people to care about them. So then I need to be the champion of, of engaging those people so my people can see that I am engaging the broader community so they can feel comfortable in their engagement of the broader community itself. That's excellent.
2: So so that's that sense, um, I think it was Pastor Haney yesterday that said this, that idea of making people uncomfortable because you're reaching out to people that aren't just like you, and Correct. it forces them to say... Uh, as that lady did two years ago, I can't go to church here. So it's the rich young man who had great wealth and he said, I've kept the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, Great, then there's just one more thing right. sell off right. everything you have and follow me. And he walked away sad because he couldn't, he wanted Jesus, he wanted the kingdom of right. God, but not at that price. And so Correct. maybe we have to challenge our own people to say, Hey, this is our community and our church should be somewhat reflective of our community. And so maybe it's not even a bad thing when someone says to you, Pastor, I can't go in here, I can't go to church here anymore because uh, we're singing songs that aren't in the hymn book, or we're clapping during the songs, or I heard somebody say amen, or I saw a lady with a tattoo on her wrist or her ankle, and you're getting away from these German people. And I'm like, what you said is true. I don't have a window to open but look around <laughs> us. The the German American America of the nineteen hundreds or early late eighteen hundred, it's gone. Yeah.
1: It's not here. Right.
2: So we well, have and I,
1: and, yeah, and I think one of the things that we, we don't want uh, Missouri Senate as a predominant group in Missouri Senate, you know, their ancestors are from Germany or from Northern Europe. We don't want them to feel guilty about who they are. I mean they have a right to be German. Yes. What they don't have a right is to impede the gospel from serving other people. Exactly. By holding on to things that perhaps will not even allow their kids or grandkids to come back to the church. Right. Well, and so they don't have that right. They do have a right for their own heritage, you know. But then they got to be inclusive. They need to say, well, what what is it about my my way of doing things that is not attracting even my kids and grandkids back? Uh, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but maybe there are some things that I can do differently uh, so that I can I can serve this 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 group of people that are out there.
2: And so I'm just thinking about this because you're a African American pastor in a Lutheran church. Right. You're one of a handful, really. Unfortunately, it's not right. the group, it's not the diverse group it needs to be, but correct. you're a pastor because, uh, I'm assuming, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to make an assumption here, you're a pastor at a Lutheran church because you believe that the doctrine and the faith of the Lutheran church is as correct as we can be here on this side of eternity
1: right amen so amen. why would
2: we not if i'm here for the same reason and guy is here for the same reasons why wouldn't we want other people to be part of a church body that we think is got it you know that should be our goal not you're different than me but i want you to be part of this thing that i think is about as right as we can be right i mean
1: amen no no, i agree with that 100 uh well, I think people grew up in their own worlds. they grew up in their own culture, they grew up around their own people, and it's hard sometimes to not hear all of the demeaning things that are happening out there to people and see it on television and all of that stuff and then say, well, I, I would I would never want those individuals around us. I'm going to give you an example, and it, it may not be the best of example that I should give. I don't know if you read the Black Clergy Caucus uh, letter.
0: I did, yes.
1: Okay. Okay. So, so we get a uh, we get an email from a from a Lutheran who who just took, I mean, just just was absolutely livid about that. Hmm. And the person said that uh, you're charging those person with being a racist if we don't agree with uh, some of the some of the, the writings in the letter. And so the person then went on to charge the black community with all kinds of things. I mean, you uh, say you guys talking about this, but you don't say anything about black abortion. You don't say anything about black incarceration. You don't say anything about black addiction. You don't say anything about black teen pregnancy. You don't say anything about, you know, black under education. You don't see anything black poverty. You don't say anything about the black community. In other words, going to hell in a handbasket. And, uh, so, so he brought, he equated all of that stuff. Uh, was the statement of saying, you know, from my understanding of the statement, that we do have some historic issues here, and maybe it's time that we need to sit, sit and talk about these historic issues. But because he felt that that was a charge calling him something that he's not, hmm. that then he throws all of this stuff up against the wall. Now, when you do that, unless it is a person who understands now the anger of that person and say, well, let's talk. Then you just built a wall because people are going to say, well, wait a minute here. You've charged me with 600 things here that I have no way of, of trying to solve all of those problems. I'm right. talking about this particular problem. So I, I think we have to have people of good people who who are not going to be on the offensive all the time about mm-hmm. stuff and try to defend uh, some of the issues that we need to address, but simply say, well let's talk about that.
0: Yeah to stop blaming each other for whatever we wrong. To stop blaming each other. Yeah. And just
1: listen. Oh we'll get nowhere. We'll just get nowhere once we blame each other.
0: So exactly we, we had
2: a discussion off the air about that letter that was written. And and mm-hmm. the one thing that was and maybe it, you know how letters are they're like emails and text messages you yeah. have to but but what i sensed in there was that there is tension in the black lutheran community with the rest of our synod and maybe tension's not the right word but a recognition that there is a problem and, and am i right oh, I think-
1: I think the historic issues of black ministry in the Lutheran Church Missouri Center has always been that tension filled uh, uh, mission. Is that you, you know, when when the Lutherans came into the black community, it was at the height of, of, of a segregated America. And so basically, you can't go into the South, in which most of the church started in the South. And, and allow blacks and whites to worship because in most communities there, there was, you know, a prohibition against blacks and whites gathering together in whatever form. Worship, education, recreation, shopping, the whole nine yards. There was there was a, a segregated mentality that you cannot be uh, in the same room together with a person of color. And... Uh, and ministry started out that way. We we, we started uh, the first church was Saint Paul Lutheran Colored, uh, Saint Paul Colored Lutheran Church. Mm-hmm. At that time, we were colored people, you know, before yes. we became African American and black folks. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, was Saint Paul Colored Lutheran Church, two or three blocks down the street from the mother church. But the mother the, the 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 blacks couldn't go into the mother church because of the law of the segregationist law. Now, I'm not sure everybody in the church believed in that law, but it was the law in the book. Right. And I imagine if you tried to assimilate blacks in your church, there were people who would always raise their hands and say, no, we have a law, we have a segregationist law that says that you can't do that. And they would have, they, they probably, and, and now there may be people in the, in, in the Lutheran congregation, I'm sure, that felt that way also. But there was a law that said that you blacks and whites could not go to the same school, could not eat at the same restaurant, could not sleep in the same hotel, uh, could not, you know, go to the same hospitals. It was just the law of the land. And so in that segregated South end, we planted, I mean, we planted uh, at least a 100 or more churches throughout wow. that time. A lot of them have died and, and, and no longer exist now. But we did preach the gospel among them in the tension of the nation of segregation, yet the gospel went forward. And so that's good news. The bad news is that you build up a a history of segregating and alienating people that even today churches are so segregated that we hardly ever have any communication about the simple thing of faith with one another.
2: Sure. That's exactly right. So let me just ask a quick question. Well, it's a quick question for me, maybe not for you. But even in our own synod then, how do we move forward towards community and not towards chaos in in that relationship uh, coming out of that uh, the Black Caucus letter and everything? How do we—because— we do this show because, and we're talking about this issue because we want to move forward together, not and right. I, and I think it's as the white Germans, uh, you know, we're the ones that need to learn a lot here, mm-hmm. and so. But how do we within our own senate? How can we just in a few minutes? What, what do you think we could maybe do to begin the dialogue to move forward? Uh, we've closed Selma, our only black university. It, we, we don't have African-American pastors coming out of our seminaries, so if we let this divide or this tension, whatever it might be, grow, we're only going to get worse and, and not better, uh, and I think worse to me means more into chaos. So when we all look exactly the same, I think that's more chaotic than the blend of God's people all together centered around the Word and around Christ and not around culture, so, in our own Synod, how do we have that dialogue maybe just in a couple sentences or a couple minutes, how do you think we would do that?
1: Well, I think the onus is, is, is on both, both, both individuals. The Synod itself and, black, and the black clergy and the pastors and the congregation also. I think we must all own this issue that we need to have a, a better relationship with one another that we need to have a conversation about where do we go from here? You know, if we're going to build communities in, and that may mean that we have to do some things that none of us want to do, is that is, how do we serve ourselves in these communities? Do we need to either merge congregations, or do we need to have dual parishes where, you know, uh, uh, a black pastor is pastoring the black and a white Lutheran congregation? Now, the, the merger is going to be a tough thing, because there are a lot of historic Lutheran black Lutheran churches, like white churches, that just don't want to give up uh, their history as being a Lutheran church. Sure. There are some areas of the country where you just don't have white churches, and you have black churches, and you don't have uh, black churches where you have white churches. I mean, there are just some areas of the country where that's not going to work. But I think a national dialogue uh, and a continuous dialogue on uh, bringing people together, talk through some things talk about where do we go from here as the people of God how do we build uh better relationships uh, uh among each other how do we uh look into it, it to the future of, of building more multi uh, ethnic congregations as we start new churches or as we merge congregations together but it always starts with a dialogue it always starts with people coming together and uh and putting all of their, uh, you know, everything on the table, and taking nothing off of the table but that that which divides us. And what remains on the table is that which unites us and make us the people of God in a world that is so divided.
2: Indeed. Right. So,
1: here in America.
2: So you're kind of in the middle of that uh, from right. my perspective because you're the director uh, for Black Ministries right. for the LCMS, so you're kind of that middleman that so without giving away anything are we going to be having these conversations are people on both sides open to that as you understand it i mean i'm hoping they are i'm praying they are oh yes
1: you're open yeah yeah i you know i talked with president harrison the other day he and i talked about that uh, i'm putting together some names now of uh of black pastors who can have a dialogue and i'm putting together names of of white pastors and serving the black community and i'm putting trying to put together uh some names of uh, 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 uh pastors who are serving all white uh uh congregations and uh and start to having a, a deliberate dialogue about uh where do we go from here chaos or community as dr king said and i i think the church would look at community more than chaos but i think what comes out of chaos is community. We are, you know, very chaotic right now. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And I would say that segregation on Sunday morning is a chaotic thing. It may it may feel unified as the people of God as we worship, but it's really chaotic. It's against the Word of God, and yes. we need to come back to what the Word says that we are that we are unified by the Gospel. It is the only power of salvation. And the gospel is not is not uh, a color. Uh, it, it is a it is a Christ Amen. who bridges the color divide, and that we need to be about that. So yeah, we, we're we're going to try to get some some people together to have some dialog. Uh, maybe there is a national dialogue that we need to have. Uh, I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but I, I you know I can I'm going to put together some names of people to start doing a Zoom and then to start trying to figure out once we get out, get out of this quarantine, where do we meet, maybe in St. Louis, to have some serious dialogue about this.
2: Well, let me just tell you, I'll give you two names. I'm sure they're on your list. <laughs> Dr. Nunez <laughs> and uh, Reverend Keith Haney, they were both...
1: Oh, no oh, doubt about <laughs> it. They, 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 those two names are on my list. I figured yeah. they
2: were. Uh, they're just <laughs> wonderful part yeah. of this conversation, as you have been yeah. for us as well. For us. Uh, and I was just thinking, as you were talking about chaos or community, uh, Sunday, the text on Trinity Sunday was the Spirit of God moving around, hovering Amen. over the earth without form or void, that kind of chaos, and from that, God speaks and orders it. And so I, I, you talked about the Word, so I think what we need to do is continue to use that Word of God to order our churches mm-hmm. to be what God would have them be. Um, So I'm going to do for you what we did for Pastor Haney. Um, If you imagine the whole world is listening to you about this conversation, it's really only probably about 12 people and six of them are related to me, but uh, what would you say to them in a few sentences to help them be part of the solution?
1: Well, you know, I think the only thing I can really say is, is go back to what Jesus said. When 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 you ask what is the greatest commandment? I mean I mean God gave us these commandments to live by. And 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 here are these religious leaders looking at Jesus because he's bridging the gap of all of these people. And uh he is he is touching the lives of people that even the religious people wouldn't have anything to do with. And, and they just wanted to know, well, what, what's going on here? What is the greatest commandment? And he breaks it down in two tables of the law. Love, number one, the primary word, the opposite word is love. Love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now you say, well, I mean, that's easy to say, but how do I go about doing that? And I keep going back to that first point. Hold on to the word of God. What does the word of God say about my relationship with God and with other people? And then... Number two, then, so so, so, how do I, as the child of God, uh, how do I go about then building a trust relationship? That means I got to walk across the room. <laughs> okay. That means when I see someone or I work with someone, I live close to someone, I, I need to, to start a conversation with those people. Yep. And I need to talk to them about, you know, wh- who I am, what I believe, my faith life, my community life, and I need to listen to them because my background may be totally different than their background. And, And I would say then the church needs to ask the question, the number four question I would say, what are the channels that I call the cultural influence in our community? What are the channels that are out there in our community that would help us to influence the cultural divide? education, healthcare, business, art, entertainment, media, nonprofits, government, law justice, all of those things should be the field where we utilize our kingdom work in the lives of people, leveraging what God has called us to do, utilizing those resources, connecting with those people in community, and just building trust relationships. The only way I know how to do that You got to walk across the room, and you got to simply be able to talk and listen and pray, and then act on behalf of humanity.
0: Well said.
2: That is, again, thank you because that's just that last segment there that just makes it so simple for us to just walk across the room. And be willing to listen and not judge or anything else Um, so we just want to thank you today i told everybody i told you it was going to be great today and it was pastor Gray. you are just a blessing to us this morning but also to our church body as well and so we want to say thank you and i told my mom you were going to be on the show she doesn't know you personally she's heard you preach in houston but her comment was oh i'll probably listen I love to hear him talk. So <laughs> she won't listen to hear me, but she's gonna tune in for you. So thank you for getting. On. Her,
1: who is your mom? What's her name?
2: Her name is Chicky. So
1: okay, but thank you. i for- sure, sure I know her there in Houston. I'm probably sure put there in, uh, in different capacities.
2: She taught there in Lutheran schools for 40 years, so probably y'all oh, came even. across each other oh, many yeah. times. But thank you no for doubt. getting her to tune into the show today. I appreciate that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so uh, blessings to you and blessings to all our dummies. We hope you have a wonderful day.